I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Hey, how's it going? I seem to be liking living life on the edge at the moment and keep picking fairly risky times to record my hello to you because at the moment uh, Richard's out, it's Saturday afternoon, the kids are all over the place. Um, The chances of me getting through this without anyone spotting that I've gone to a quiet corner is pretty slim. Uh, But hopefully... Oh, okay. Um... Mickey's dressed as Peter Pan. Uh, oh, Mickey's gone right under it. Sorry, I'm just getting a ball from under a table. Uh, for supper, we're going to have corn chowder tonight. Okay. Uh, in a minute. Um, yeah, so, how's your week been? I've been away, actually, for this week. I went to record a lot of my album. It's not quite finished, but we've done absolutely tons. So we spent nine days in the studio in total recording 13 songs which is a lot of work. So it's been pretty intense, but really brilliant. Everybody in the band's been playing really well. Um, the album is sounding really cool and interesting. I've no idea what people will make of it because leading on from doing, you know, kitchen disco-y things, this isn't really a disco album, but there is pop there. There are some dancey bits. There's some proggy bits. There's some synthy bits. It's quite quite eclectic but quite bold so hopefully people will be into that I'm pleased with it and yeah that's been my week and oh Richard's album came out yesterday so that's the feelings seventh album 
Is that right? Uh, which is wonderful. It's a really great album. I'm really happy for them. It's an amazing long-term relationship that band has. I'm walking while I talk to you to escape my kids. Um, so, yeah, exciting weeks. That's Lost Hope Love, their album. And so, yeah, quite a musical week. Nice to be getting back to all the day job stuff. Back to gigs and start on my summer festivals kind of from pretty much next weekend onwards, really. Lots of lovely stuff. And it's been a nice day. And I've got a lovely podcast for you today. Someone I've wanted to speak to for ages, Lisa Eldridge. So Lisa's a makeup artist I've worked with over the years. But we haven't seen each other recently. However, I, I've been a fan of hers from before I worked with her, actually, because her name was sort of so well known and then we worked together and then I kept following her and I loved if you haven't seen it the series that she did for BBC about the history of makeup is absolutely beautiful she's a really engaging presenter because of her passion for the subject matter it really comes across and it's really very oh hello what do you want what are you miming a coca-cola oh it's quite late in the day right go on then go on then go on then Saturday um, yeah, so it was really lovely to speak to her and hear from her side of things how she's managed her career and motherhood and also building her business because she now has all of her makeup line as well. So that was lovely and she's a very soothing voice. I think you're going to love having her voice in your ear. Very calm presence. I would probably need a bit of that car i found i don't know if it's because i was away during the week i found aspects of this week quite stressful on that note someone's crying see you on the other side me again i thought i should probably come back on to let you know that actually it was a stubbed toe not anything more serious if you could hear what i could hear in the background i.e a big scream from mickey he stubbed his toe that does really 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 hurt doesn't it but he's all right now he stopped crying already <sighs> i thought something awful had happened anyway over to calming Lisa. Oh, a couple of things I should probably mention. One thing, she talks about doing test shoots. Because you might not be familiar with that, test shoots are basically at the beginning of working in the fashion industry where you do your job, i.e. photography, lighting, makeup, modelling, but you do it for nothing because you're trying to build your book. So when I had my brief little time in modelling, that's what I was doing too, lots and lots of test shoots where you work for nothing, trying to build your book. I know she brings up that. And the other thing is, she mentioned Matt and Marcus, who I said I worked with. Matt and Marcus were the photographers who did my Read My Lips album cover. They worked in such a quirky way. There was the pair of them, and they would take turns taking pictures so that when you got all the contact sheet uh, developed, you didn't know who had taken what shot. So I don't actually know if it was Matt or Marcus that did the cover art for my Read My Lips album and all the press shots and everything. But that's how they work. So, yeah, they're absolutely brilliant. Anyway, I think that's everything. Mickey, are you all right now? Good. All right, cool. You already asked me that. Corn chowder. All right, see you in a bit. It's really good to see you again, and thank you for coming over. So lovely to see you. Really nice. Um, well, let's start with the here and now. What's happening with you at the moment, with everything you've got going on? Um, well, I'm still working as a makeup artist, so I still do my makeup jobs and 
clients. I try to do a bit less of it now, so I don't do like as many shoots as I used to because I'm interested in my, you know, my brand and, and getting my own makeup out there and, and doing that as well. So I'm kind of still doing the makeup because I love that and that's my passion and that keeps everything else informed. Yeah. Um, but I'm really concentrating on my brand. And I did a, a TV documentary series and I'm yes. hopefully going to do another one. So, um, oh, you must. Yeah. So I really you, loved it. Did you? Oh, yeah. thank you. So this was a series documenting the history of makeup. Yeah, so, so it was it was just more because it we shot it during lockdown. We didn't know that was going to happen actually because it was originally oh, right. going to be more based on my book which is kind of like the whole history of makeup. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the pandemic happened and I thought well this has just gone forever. And then after the first lockdown the BBC said oh we can shoot it now, but we were just so limited in what we could do. So we only did 3 episodes and we just did 3 decades so sort of the 1860s the 1780s and the 1920s because and just British history because we're only able to get into you know a very few museums and number of museums and stuff so but it was still really fun and uh, considering it was so we filmed it all throughout the second lockdown so it was amazing that we even got it done so but actually maybe in a way that sort of focus is I mean, there's so much to get out of even just those those decades and just being here. There's loads. Absolutely. Tons. I mean, it was even hard in an hour to cover the, any of those decades. Yeah. Especially because I was making the actual formulas. So I was going to Keele University and making all the dangerous stuff, which for me was amazing because I've always been so fascinated by what did the really poisonous formulas look like did they just look better than the non-poisonous ones so like with the white paint like the ceruse I always used to think well why did they still use lead when they knew that it was really dangerous so when I made the lead version and the non-lead version I was like ah okay yeah it does look nicer I I, not that you'd risk your life for it but I could (laughs) see why they'd make those choices um so for me, it was like, yeah, I, I was in my element. I was, every day was like, oh my God, you know, talking to incredible people, um, making all these formulas, doing makeup, yeah. you know, using original formulas, which was fascinating. Cause it you, is fascinating. Yeah. And also it made me think a lot more about, I mean, I've always adored makeup, but I think, you know, we're, we're now so used to walking into, you know, along the high road and being, you know, you can get access to so many colourful, amazing things all the time. I sort of forgot, you know, about the history, but also the, you know, social ramifications, economic ramifications of what people were doing to their faces and what it all meant and the signals they were sending out and, you know, the culture, basically, of what everything else was going on in history at that time. So it's really lovely to think about all that and and kind of modernise the way that the mindset of the people that were making those choices, what it meant to them to get dressed up in that way. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's all so political and it's, it is... You know, lots of people have messaged me saying, oh, I'm a history teacher and I'm going to use some of this to kind of engage maybe younger people in history because you can tell so much about history from, you know, not just what we know about fashion, but hairstyles, beauty, um, perceptions of beauty, what people used. And there's just so, it's just a really nice gateway into history and a sort of colourful and fun and almost you can always tie it to modern day as well so there is that link all the time over and over again and for me that's why I got so obsessed with with it in the first place yeah I just loved that it was a window into history but through such a colorful and and beautiful world yeah that really is and I suppose as well it's like 
recently I was at a Victorian Albert Museum and there were all these paintings and actually there was that thing where these paintings were from the late 1800s, early 1900s, but you know when all the faces suddenly look really modern to you? Mm. They all had that thing and you could, they just all looked like faces you'd recognise, like you could see them out and about. Mm. And it's just that incredible thing where you think, you know, sort of that link back to history of like, these are just people. Just like you and I. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and some of the concerns were exactly the same. Like when I was looking at, particularly in the Victorian era when, you know, women were supposed to look perfect and and naturally flushed and beautiful and flawless and all of this, but not allowed to wear any makeup. So it's like the no makeup, makeup look. It's, you know, they were constantly trying to get that look. Um, And as they got older, of course, you know, there was terrible constraints on... You know, if you wore makeup, it was even worse, and you'd be you'd be really criticised. And then all these kind of salons popped up around Bond Street, doing these sort of you know dubious treatments and um, makeup that was supposed to last for sort of three months, and it was fifteen hundred pounds in modern money to have some of these makeup treatments done, and and that was just really fascinating, and it really resonates. I think oh, yeah. like nothing has changed. You know, is still this um, sense of you know, if only got to look sometimes at comments about people wearing a lot of makeup. Oh, she's wearing too much makeup. I'm like, God, this sounds exactly like some of the things that I read in the Victorian era or ancient Greece. I mean, it just hasn't changed. So um, just looking at those connections and thinking about makeup and why people have vilified it almost for such a long time is really fascinating. It is. And I suppose, as you say, there's so many um, mirrored things about what's happening now in terms of the risks people take with their health and their face in search of looking beautiful and you know so we've still that's still I mean that's the takeaway from modern times isn't it oh completely because I remember like I made some mouse hair eyebrows in the show and we weren't going to include them and then I think it was the producer's sisters got a cat and it killed a mouse and in the end the props guy they made these eyebrows great time they didn't tell me and then they said oh we've got these eyebrows and then I opened it and I was like um and I kind of stuck them on and everyone was like, oh my God, it's like so embarrassing, awful. Like, can you imagine? And I said, yeah, but I would never do them. But there's mink eyelashes available now. People do mink eyelashes, which is, ugh, you know, I can't bear it. But I'm like, so is it that different to that? I'm like, they're on sale now. And they're like, oh my God, you're right. You know, there's always yeah. these parallels. And, um, oh, so we're not talking about everybody putting my mouse eyebrow. These are just options that Oh yeah, no, these were, bit, I mean, you had to be, yeah. I mean, it was, it was, Makeup at that time in, in the Georgian period was very much about status. Unless you could just make your own if your cat also money. just killed a mouse. Yeah, and then you could just <laughs> have a go, make some little eyebrows, wonky, yeah, exactly. self made mouse eyebrows. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, sorry, I interrupted you making a very serious point. Um, but yes, yeah, so the, the status of having these things and that, you know, you had to be wealthy to be able to afford to do these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, you needed money. Although, ironically, the people that didn't have money that made the natural formulas were actually healthier and not killing themselves and probably looked just as good as the um, the wealthy elite that were using the lead, the mercury for the lip colour and, you know, all those dangerous things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and where did this fascination with the history of... Did, is that Was that always there synonymous with your love of makeup as well? It was actually, in? it was. It started because I saw... We came to England from New Zealand and we lived with my granny for a while and I had um, my mum's bedroom, I guess, from when she was a teenager and she had like a chest of drawers. You know those little mini ones with they're all cardboard yes. drawers? Yeah. 
and it was just full of her old makeup. So how old were you then? So I was like six, probably, and I didn't... I wasn't that interested in the makeup she was wearing then. I don't think I was. Like, a modern-day makeup, but I loved this old stuff more. Mm. Probably because it was more gloopy, and it was like the Mary Quant crayons, and all this, like... I don't know, it smelt different. It was more over-the-top, probably. The colours were very childlike, which actually is right, because in the 60s, all the child... The makeup was very childlike. Mm. Um, so I loved all of that, and I used to draw with that. And I used to draw, I guess, face charts. Well, I didn't know there were face charts then. But I used to draw faces and put makeup on them. And, and I always used my mum's old makeup. So that kind of started my love affair with the objects, I guess, of makeup. The, the things um, and the I smell. Like the and the packaging. Te- and... Yeah, the packaging, the textures, the mm. smells, all of that. Um, and then it was drawing faces, really, that got me into it. And then um, once I decided I wanted to be a makeup artist, after someone gave me a book for my 13th birthday about theatrical makeup, and I was like, oh, my God, this is it. I want to be a makeup artist. And then I just always loved the history stuff. I always liked if I went to, like, jumble sales or something, if I found old bits of makeup. And um, I remember finding, like, a box of Bieber makeup in Portobello Road Market. Oh, wow. And it was a fiver, and it was this box of, like, amazing blush colours. And they're all really vibrant and crazy, and I and I bought it. And I remember the woman being a bit like, you know, couldn't believe that someone's paid a fiver for this old makeup. <laughs> um, but I was, yeah, I was obsessed with it. Obsessed. Yeah. I guess yeah. there's a story there as well, isn't there? Already. That's what I love. I love the story. Like, I've got things that are really, really expensive and crazy, like, famous. Like, I've got um, Audrey Hepburn's actual lipstick holder that oh, her wow. son sold me and it had still had some of her lipstick in and her lip marks and all of that. So that stuff people can recognise as being iconic and incredible and it was very expensive. But I've got, like, eyelashes from the 1930s or... Things that just look so loved and so kind of like, you just think at that time to be able to go and buy fake eyelashes, no one would, you would have had to be a movie star to have fake eyelashes. So maybe just some regular girl went and bought these eyelashes and, you know, with her wages or whatever, she put them on and she felt like a movie star. And they're just so looked after. You can tell they've been worn like so many times and Mm. kept so nicely in this little box. And the box is really lovely. And I just think stuff like that, tell me a lot about how how treasured makeup was at that time and what it meant to, like, regular women. And I, I love that side of it. Yeah, and do you still have some of the things from when you were, like, a teenager and getting your own first bits and bobs? Not really. So you, um, do, you keep, do you keep the things that you had, like, the Mary Quant stuff your mum had? Do you still have that Yeah, somewhere? I've got all the Mary really? Quant stuff. And then I got collecting... I started collecting properly... Yeah, when I first got that Bieber stuff, that was, so that was years ago. That was like, God, nearly 30 years ago. And I was just, yeah, I got this box for a fiver. And then after that, I'd like see something like interesting. It was really cheap back then. I kind of shot myself in the foot when I published my book in 2015 because I was going on and on about vintage makeup. It's amazing. Look at all these pieces. And then within about 12 months, I'd go on to an auction. I'd be like, hold on a minute. This used to be £2.50. How come it's 250 quid? Oh, yeah. This is the book face paint. Yeah, yeah, it just got people um, more interested in it. And, um, yeah, anyway, I already had an amazing collection by then, so I had everything I, I wanted by then, really. Like, yeah, but I think I love the idea of those those eyelashes and that connection and, as you say, like the sort of 
There's a tenderness, isn't there? But it's like the intimacy of something that someone looked after that way, wore over and over again, and it became their their thing, their special thing to make them feel better. And then after the end of the night or whatever amazing day they'd had, just put them away again for the next big memory, you know? It's yeah, I love that idea. And I think that that time as well, you know, in the 20s, you were kind of still considered a bit of a harlot if you're wearing makeup. So you can imagine these young women that went to watch the silent movie stars and they just thought, well, you know, they embraced this kind of new vision of womanhood being whatever you wanted to be and not necessarily listening to anyone else. Yeah. Um, and makeup suddenly being available in, in Woolworths or whatever for the equivalent of 10 pence. So mm. it was actually achievable. Yeah. Um, and I suppose as well, the 30s, I was thinking that would have been sort of black and white movies. That would be the time as well with the contouring, but not just dark lines on your face to really bring out, you know, the dramatic you know, highs and lows of your face contouring, but also I heard it was on your hands as well. They do dark lines sort of along your fingers and make yeah. everything look really Yeah, that didn't cross over really into um, mainstream makeup until recently, actually. Contouring as a mainstream thing is very recent. But, um, yeah, Marlena Dietrich was the queen. She sort of brought contouring to life, if you like, because she mm. was... She came from the theatres in Berlin and she really noticed that when the lighting changed from one light, from basically, you know, went through gaslight, electric light, limelight, so all these changes, obviously, and then the arc lighting, you needed something extra. You didn't, you needed more makeup. And um, I think through working with the director, that, particularly the director that she worked with, von Sternberg, and he was the one that kind of put the silver stripe down her nose and, you know, that was kind of you know, became a real um, thing for movies. But it didn't cross over into for regular women. It was a little bit no, too technical it, for real you? life. And yeah. if you imagine the textures back then, I mean, now that I've made them as well with my documentary, I'm like, wow, just getting this mascara on, you know, yeah. the, the kind of soap pigment or the um, some of the lipsticks, you know, they're pretty, uh, you know, they drag, they drag on. Yeah, well, like, as, I mean, we've spoken about the relationship that the women would have with the makeup you collected, but there's obviously also the makeup artists that were doing those things as well. And how that, yeah. you said, so the technical skill that you'd need to do that. And actually, you mentioned Marlene Dietrich. And when I was at VNA, she, she had a suit in the exhibition that I went to, and I thought she was really quite an extraordinary woman. She wore an incredibly masculine tailored suit, which must have been a real wow at that time, actually. Yeah. So wow. I love all those women because they really. You know, the, someone like, say, Greta Garbo arrived in Hollywood where it's obviously all run by men, men are in charge, and um, there was a particular makeup look that they thought was the right look for women, which was, you know, the pink cheeks and the, you know, the sort of dark around the eyes. And, and she had a very, what they considered European look, which was the sort of white eyelid with the black line and then the black line in here. Mm. And she just refused to change that makeup look. But then it inspired everyone, you know, from Marilyn Monroe to 1960s makeup to... So I love it when you see these strong women that just refuse to conform. Yeah. And there's so many of those in the history of makeup that have just been... Um, they've just been mavericks, really. Yeah. And, and I love that. So exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so listening to you talk about this, you know, it's clearly a massive passion to know the history of it and, and where it sits in the cultural landscape so I suppose you know you could have probably ended up working in a museum or something and this just being your absolute speciality and knowing all this stuff and curating a lovely collection but where did the ambition to actually 
I mean, well, I suppose with your makeup, being a makeup artist, you could have gone into theatre or something that just stays kind of a little bit more more niche. So what led you to fashion? I think just magazines, you know, growing up with my mum buying magazines, fashion magazines, um, you know, I loved Vogue. I'd spend my pocket money on Vogue and I would just, I did love theatre and I definitely love like old movies. Like I used to watch them and try and recreate the looks on myself, usually when my mum was out because I'd <laughs> use all her really expensive makeup <laughs> and do like a full Theda Barra look and then we would all be washed off before she got home doing my homework. Um, but yeah, I used to I used to love all that, but I did love fashion. So, and I just didn't know how to get into it. I used to say, I want to do that, but like, you know, no, people would be like, oh, okay. Seemed like another, Seemed another like country. Seemed like another country, yeah. So how did you get into it then? Um, slowly, really. I came to London and I just, um, yeah, decided that was what I wanted to do and slowly chipped away and find out how I was going to do it and started testing and uh, did a course in the evening and met some people, you know, it's like, you know, you met someone who met someone who knew someone. And yeah. I, used to, I say to people, I used to see it like a brick wall, but not a high brick wall, a really deep brick wall. <laughs> so I had to get through this great big deep wall. And every time I met someone who maybe knew someone, somebody would be like, oh, my auntie's sister's cousin knows somebody at, you know, a magazine. I'd be like, okay, that's like one brick. <laughs> or if somebody, like, oh, I know a stylist, here's the number. That's like 10 bricks. It was like just having to kind of get into this world which yeah. was so alien to me or not alien to me but alien um no one I knew was in fashion or knew anything about it so yeah it was a bit of a challenge yeah no, there's like no internet metaphor. so it I wasn't like it. you couldn't just google and go on someone and find out you had to like mm. literally ask people and you know yeah knock, you had to knock on doors I literally knocked on a door I worked in an architect's <laughs> office on reception, like I used to do all kinds of jobs uh, while I was testing because obviously you don't make any money doing that. And um, I used to like see this building opposite and I'd be like, oh, there's like people going in and out there that look like they could be in like fashion or something. So I just literally knocked on the door one day and I went, what is this? <laughs> and this guy said, oh, it's Terence Donovan's studio. So I was like, oh, I said, well, I'm a makeup artist. And he's like, oh, I'm Terence's assistant. So I said, well, I work over there on reception, but I'm actually a makeup artist. So if you're ever testing here, like, let me know. And, you know, I did quite a bit, a bit of stuff with them. So it was, it was like old-fashioned knock-on doors. That's so brilliant. Yeah, and, and, you know, I'm not, I'm kind of an introvert, so I had to force myself to do that. It wasn't like it was easy for me. Yeah. Like, I built that up over, like, a few weeks and then went and kind of, you know, ready for rejection, that horrible feeling. But yeah, um, the confidence luckily, trick. once every now and again, it works out, doesn't it? Yes, every once in a while. I totally relate to that, though. I think I'm a bit of an introvert, too. So that thing of being able to put yourself out there, as you say, except expecting a no is kind of something you learn to just state, no, I'm just going to challenge myself to do this, to go over and speak to that person or put yourself out there. And, and as you say, every once in a while, it's like, actually, yeah, that works for us. Can you come back next week and do a test? Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. 
Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Last shoot. So we fast forward a little bit, what was happening in your life when you had your baby? So I'd got to the point where I was really successful and everything was going so well. Um, everything I dreamt of, I actually visualised I'd live in Portobello Road and I did get a flat in Portobello Road. You know, the agent that I wanted, I got. Um, I don't know how I managed it, but I kind of convinced myself that that was all going to happen. Um, and yeah, I was going... I was traveling all the time, but it was so exciting. You know, I had every month I'd have like, oh, the cover of British Vogue or the, you know, a fashion story in French Vogue and something else. So I had all these tear sheets coming out and it was what I'd always dreamt about. Anyway, um, anyway, I'd met this guy and then I was I was living in Paris, actually. I, wanted, I went from Portobello Road to Paris and I was living there and I met someone and then... Um, I was about to move to New York because I was sort of doing so well. Everyone was like, oh, you should go to New York. And um, anyway, I kind of was with this person and then, and I got pregnant quite quickly, kind of so, quite soonish into the relationship. And then I was like, oh, this is great, you know, lovely. I'm really happy. Um, and then I was kind of like, okay, can't really move to New York. So that's fine. I'll go back to London. And, and then it was really about almost like imagining what it was going to be like afterwards, like because you can't imagine how you're going to do that job. I kind of knew I couldn't do that job because I couldn't be getting on planes all the time. You don't know how you're going to feel, so you can't be like, well, I know I'm going to feel like this, so I want to do that. So I just went with the flow, and I worked throughout my pregnancy. I remember um, Lucinda Chambers at Vogue saying to me, make sure you stop about six weeks before you have the baby because you've got to get into a different headspace. So I was like, okay. And I remember being at, it was Milan Fashion Week, six weeks before my baby was due. And I was there. I was heading up the Moschino show. I did Alberta Ferretti um, show. I did like loads of shows. And I remember at the end of it, I shut the door on the taxi cab to go to the airport. And I thought, well, I think I have had enough now. I think that's it. So I went home and 
I did like maybe the odd job, but I kind of started going to mother care on a daily basis, you know, walking to mother care and looking at push chairs and getting really into that headspace. And I think it was quite good um, advice that she'd given me in some ways because it was a different headspace and it was good that I got into that headspace. Um, Sometimes it gives you permission as well. If someone who has your ear says that, you kind of go, okay, well, if that's what she thinks is an okay thing to do, because it's quite... Hard to know which way's up sometimes if when you haven't got anyone to give you that advice. I you don't agree, know what everybody yeah. else is doing, do you? And you don't right know. And you, you don't know. You're, it's it's new to you, mm. and um, it is a kind of yeah. You don't really know what what what's what. So so I did that, and um, once I'd obviously had George, I was like, oh my god, like this is amazing. Um, the first three months, obviously, it was a blur. I don't remember any of it, but it was incredible. And I was really, really happy. And I remember thinking, oh, I'll just, I'll do things differently now. I still didn't know how I was going to do it, but I knew I didn't want to do what I was doing before. I remember I used to think before I had him, how am I going to feel when I wake up and I've got no te- no covers anywhere in the world? What will that feel like? Will it feel like I've kind of thrown it all away and I did all that work and it's all gone now but of course once you get to that position I didn't really think like that you know I I didn't care quite frankly um it's funny isn't it that because the idea of that before the idea of not caring is quite scary as well but I kind of want to keep caring yeah because it's driven me so far yeah exactly (laughs) and I was enjoying it as well it wasn't like I wasn't enjoying it I loved it when I had magazine covers out walking into news agents and going oh god there's my new cover you know it was a lovely feeling and um not just the status of it but the actual jobs you know the doing the makeup the meeting the people the getting on a plane exactly it was lovely um but I felt totally different. And I'd go out with my push and I'd be like, oh my God, this is like the best thing I've ever done. I love it. Um, I took, I did take to it like a duck to water, thankfully, because, you know, you never know. Um, and I was really, really happy. So I just had to then rethink everything. And I can remember like my agent having this conversation. Luckily, she was a mom. And I said, I can remember this thing really clearly where I think Matt and Marcus were kind of starting out or were beginning to be do really well. Uh, they're like these big fashion photographers. No, they did my first album cover. Oh, so, they yeah. did. Okay, yeah. so and I remember they were looking for a makeup artist, and they'd asked to see my book and set my book, and they said, "Like your book." And I'd heard that they started shooting at midnight some days. Like, oh, the, blimey! So I said to my agent, "You know what? I can't get into this now." Mm. And she's like, "Oh, I totally understand." I said, "I just, there's, you know, it, there would have been a moment, but it's not now." Mm. And deep down, I felt like I could get back into it later. I mean, that was kind of a bit cocky, really, because fashion, once you're out of fashion, you're out of fashion. But I felt deep down that I can pick this up later. I, I felt like it, and if I can't, well, I'll find other things to do. So I literally changed my brief to my agent and I said, I want to do more celebrities because you do a red carpet, you're finished at six o'clock on the dot. <laughs> Because they've gone on the red carpet, yeah. there's nothing more to do. Exactly. I want to do more celebrity covers where there's a publicist there that says the talent's got to leave at 5pm. I want to do um, makeup campaigns where we're just here and that's what we do. Um, and then really weirdly, from nowhere, I got a call from Shiseido when, my baby, when George was really young, saying, we're looking for a new creative director. And I said, okay, maybe this is a solution. And um, I went to see them and it was so 
mad because I kind of walked, I was breastfeeding and I had all, I thought, God, how long is this meeting going to be? And I had all the, you know, the pads on and, and I walked in and it was like seven guys in suits and they wanted, I had to talk about my inspirations and I'd just been on holiday in Cornwall and I talked to them for about, it feels like five hours, but I don't know how my boobs didn't explode at that point, about Barbara Hepworth and sculpture and um, and I had my photography and photos that I'd done. And anyway, I found out later they wanted me to have the job and then I was just worried. And they said, look, you, you'll only have to come to Japan like twice a year. And I looked at it and I weighed it up and I thought, for the money they're paying me, I can give up everything else and just do this and be at home okay, I'm going to have to go on two trips a year, which is going to be horrific. I'm sure I'm not going to enjoy that, but they're short trips. And um, my mum used to really help me out and come and stay. And so I did that, actually. And um, that was crazy because it was a super exciting project. I had my lovely baby that was super exciting. And the first time creating a makeup range and learning about cosmetic science. So two babies kind of came at once. It was a bit like, that was quite overwhelming and in retrospect, it was kind of a lot. Yeah. But it meant that I didn't have to do any of the other work. It was a lot, but it's also there's serendipity. And as you say, you're quite, it's quite a pragmatic approach that you took, even when you were just giving your brief to your agent about finishing times and sort of work that you could do to sort of make it all function it well with having this new person in your mm. life. And I love that when you say, it sounds cocky to say, I'm just going to wait and, you know, whatever comes back will come back. But actually, if, you know, if you've pictured yourself chipping away brick by brick through this really deep wall. You've done so much work already at that point in terms of what you can realise when you just keep going. I think the scariest bit when you're in a creative industry is more the, well, for me anyway, is the fact that so much of the momentum is reliant on your own ambition because, you know, no one's forcing you to keep keep turn, you know, keep pushing on and keep raising the bar and keep turning, you know. Mm. At any point you could say, I'm actually not you know, I'm not going to do this. And then they go, well, okay. And maybe people be a bit disappointed for a little mm. minute and then they find someone else they keep booking. And that's the bit, yeah. isn't it, that's so integral to have to that fizz of, yeah. Yeah, and your agents don't get you jobs. People think, I'll get an agent, they get me the jobs. They don't. I mean, they help you, obviously, mm. to um, do the billing and arrange everything. But really, you get your own work and yeah. you create your own creativity. You yeah. write your own songs, you go and out there and you choose to perform them. You know, yeah. um, <clears throat> be your own cheerleader, basically. Your own cheerleader, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I guess when you, when you're a parent, I don't know if you would agree with this, but I, I would really love to instill that feeling in my kids as well of like that momentum that you feel and the desire to keep putting something on the horizon, even if it's not much, just to kind of keep you focused on where you want to go. Oh, absolutely. I think it is about that, and um, I think it's nice that um, you know when. I guess George was growing up, um, I was really fussy about which jobs I did so that I had, I had this idea that, okay, when I'm like much, much older, what's going to be more important, that body of work or the fact that, um, you know, I was at every school play, I did the makeup for all the summer fairs, I was on the parents committee always, I was always class rep, all these things wow, I really enjoyed. Rep? I was class rep, wow. yeah, loads of times. And I loved all that. And I thought, well, that's what's going to, that matters to me now. And um, I think, you know, I'm, I, I consider myself a feminist, but I don't think you can have it all at once. And I, I sometimes think that is quite anti-feminist and people say, oh, you know, you can have it all. I think, well, you can, but you're going to be really 
upset a lot of the time because you know unfortunately I can't I couldn't have had it all I couldn't have gone and flown around the world and kept doing the vogues and been happy with myself and been I wanted to be at home that's what I wanted to do so I it was better for me to one day or two days a week go and do a different type of work than to try and do that um and I do feel that that is how I kind of managed to a keep my career going and look back and feel very happy now that I was very present and I was I, I for myself as well not that I've got some big manifesto that you know you've got to do this or the, the other this is just me personally speaking that for me it was really important that I was doing all those things that I really enjoyed and wanted to be doing because I found it really fun as well you know I was as I was you know I'm obviously passionate about being a mum mm. um and and I love it so I wanted to do that and I didn't want to deny myself that either. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's absolutely brilliant. And I totally agree with you about the, that having it all thing is such an unhelpful phrase anyway. I don't know that that's really helped anybody. I can't think of anyone no. who's gone, actually, that really inspired me. I think it just, it just puts this extra pressure and you're like, have, have I got that? What is, what is having it all anyway? Yeah. I don't no, really know what that means. It's, um, it gives me palpitations. It's like creeps in. And with your, because you mentioned your mum a few times, did she, give you a bit of a map with with motherhood do you think are you quite a similar mum to your mum no completely different (laughs) completely different absolutely different yeah I think my mum when I came to England my granny was more like a sort of mother figure to both of us so um yeah I love my mum she's a bit like an older sister um so yeah and my mum was an amazing grandmother, is an amazing grandmother. Uh, and to be honest, the reason I was able to keep my career going, even at this much reduced level, was because my mum would literally get on a train if I said, I've got a job tomorrow. She would just come. She'd be amazing with George and look after him. And it was just, yeah, I, I owe a lot to her because... She really was so helpful. Yeah, she really supported you. She really supported me so much. And um, that is just, yeah, that's the reason, another reason. I mean, that I've been, I mean, she was in Liverpool, I was in London. So it was like a, you know, big kind of a distance. But Mm. she would just come down and um, help me out. And I'd be like, I've got got a job tomorrow and it's a really good job and it's going to finish at five. But she'd be like, okay, I'll get the train in the morning. (laughs) Oh, wow. No, that is, well, you need that, I guess. And I suppose... You know, I mean, I was raised, my mum was a single mother for me for a long yeah, time as well. Yeah, I was so the same, my yeah, mum's a yeah, single mum. You actually got the practicality of like, yeah. you doing it on your own. And, and actually for me, I don't know if it, you'd agree with this, it really became the kind of bedrock of how, how my dynamic and my relationship with my mum was formed, really, is that time when it's just the two of us. Yeah, I think so as well. I yeah. agree with you. Um, it's really special, actually. And um, I was going to ask you, so with... with Oh, actually, I did wonder when your little boy was small, did he ever get access to all your amazing makeups? Because, like, my my little one is always opening the cupboard and trying to put things on. He's <laughs> good at like keeping his little fingers oh, yeah, out. I kept her. it. It's vintage Bieber. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not how you oh use that. Oh my god! The, uh, the May West lip color. Um, no, it was in all in a cupboard, locked yeah, away. Um, so yeah, and. He's not never been interested in makeup, so shame really. Shame I haven't got anyone to pass it on to, but you never know. Might be a daughter in law or something at some point. Yeah. Get into makeup. Oh, definitely. There'll be loads of people that'll be interested in that. And so if you've got this time where you've kind of consciously kind of changed the shape of what you're up to, where how did it all start to come back into where you're at now? 
Yeah, so good question. <laughs> well, um, so I became a single mum uh, when George was really young. So I had sort of four or five years of just him and I. And, you know, my mum helping out and I was doing, you know, a mixture between... Um, well, I did the Shiseido thing and I did mm. that. I only did that for two years. And then I... Boots asked me, are they looking for a new creative director? And actually, that was an amazing thing because it happened just at the right time. I thought, I can't do this going to, even twice a year, I can't be going to Tokyo. Um, so I started working as the Boots creative director. So that was all my bills paid. Mm. And then I was able to kind of just start doing jobs, which I was really into. And again, I was only, like I used to say to myself, I don't want to work a lot because I've got my money taken care of. And I'm lucky that I'm not driven by money. I really yeah. know that about myself, that, you know, right from the beginning of my career, if someone said, here's a Domestus campaign, you're going to be paid £10,000 for it, or you can go and do a cover of ID for no money. It's in Canberra Sands at 6am next Sunday. I'll be like, I'll be in Canberra Sands at 6am. I'll manage to survive on something else I'll go and get a job in a pub or something I wouldn't yeah. do the the money job so um so yeah so when I then, think it's quite a key thing actually that being mm. driven by the things that actually make you feel full of joy like that I think yeah I think that's quite a sort of strong character trait if that's how your mind is set it yeah de- you know it very it much so defines everything yeah. else doesn't it yeah so I used to think when George was young my boots money kind of pays all my bills and I'm, I don't need to do any jobs. So I'm only going to do jobs if it's a good day for me to do it. Maybe George is on a sleepover or something, you know, which was a good day to work. And then mm. I would start to do celebrity covers, all the things I asked my agent to get yeah. me that I knew would fit in with, with being a mum as well. Um, so I started doing all of those and then I got asked to do this TV show and... At that time, doing a TV show for a fashion person was like, no one would do it because yeah. it was considered so naff. And But I didn't have any things fear about so that. Much, things have changed so much. Things have changed a lot. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I just thought, well, I think that sounds fun. It's going to fit in with what I'm doing. It's interesting. It's different. Yeah. And I like a challenge. Yeah. So I remember like calling a couple of editors and I said, if I do this TV show on Channel 4, you're never going to book me again. And they were all like, no. <laughs> so I said, well, I'm just checking because I think I might do it. So I did it, and um, it was 10 years younger, the challenge. So it was me versus this plastic surgeon, and, and I really enjoyed it. And I was terrified, like scared, like as scared as I was when I knocked on that office door because I'd never done anything like that before. So I kind of walked in and did it, and, you know, I really enjoyed it, and it was great. Um, and then the next thing I did was I launched my YouTube channel, and I thought, this is great. I'm going to do this YouTube channel at home. And everyone was like, oh, my God, you can't do a YouTube channel. It's so naff. Only people like amateurs do it. You're a Vogue makeup artist. You're a top, top makeup artist. You can't, if you do that, it's going to be kill your career. Um, and I thought, yeah, it might do, but I'm really into it, so I'm going to do it. I used to do the editing of the videos when George went to bed. So I put him to bed and then I'd be editing the videos and put them up. And I didn't tell anyone in the fashion business about them. I just let them kind of start to gain momentum. And then interestingly enough, that's what kind of got me back into... Well, but George was 11 then, so when I started my YouTube channel, so... This um, is right, it was like pretty near the beginning. It was right at the YouTube. beginning, right at the beginning. I, don't, I think that's only about 13 years old now in, yeah. in total, isn't it? And that's including like it really its infancy of, you know, hardly anyone on there. Exactly. So 11 years ago, I started doing that from home, mm. downstairs bedroom, <laughs> George in bed, doing a video, editing it, putting it up. Um, and then 
as George got to sort of 12, 13, I just thought, well, I could start doing a bit of fashion again. I mean, pretty arrogant, but I managed to somehow get back in, started working with Matt and Marcus, the ones mm. that I couldn't work with, and I'd chosen not, you know, to say that the hours were wrong and and started working with people like Solver again and Nick Knight and all the people that I guess were felt like wasn't a good move while I had a baby. Um and really just kind of built up my career again. Like almost picked up where I'd left off and started doing Vogue covers again and and, and fashion again and, and all of that stuff. So it was, um, yeah, kind of a mixture of, I guess, luck and, um, I don't know. Uh, you know, have just... to like, be willing as well, don't you, to kind of just say, I'm, I'm here when you need me, I suppose. And say, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, getting a first job, that kind of a job again and then going to do it and um, and just really uh, keeping on with the the YouTube thing and um, then I was working with Chanel now I'm Global Craze Director of Longcom and those things I think I just always stay interested yes curious yeah so I'm always you know even when George was in bed when he was like a baby I'd be looking on YouTube looking at people doing makeup tutorials getting interested in it I'm always interested in what's happening and what's mm. new and what's, you know, and I'm always thinking of ideas, probably like you, it's just that creative mindset where um, you never kind of, yeah, you're always curious about things. Yeah, all there's so the much time. out there as well. It's yeah. just ongoing. It's like never ending. And, you know, I think now as well, we've got the point through things like Instagram and YouTube where, you know, we really good at seeing all these new people come through and with their skills you know I follow loads of makeup artists I don't you know always know their names you know off the top of my head but I'll I love what they do with mm. the color and palette and it's it's really exciting and yeah. it's like I think you know for me if I see really amazing makeup it kind of gives me a, like endorphins you know I feel I feel good I like yeah. seeing it I enjoy the change I love the drama I love it when it's otherworldly and out there and I just think it's really fun it's I so agree fun. with you. That's and the beauty I felt like of makeup. That for my kid. It is. It is so transformative and exciting. It's playful. That's the thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's it's, a good word. It's playful and it's it is creative. And I think that um, there's something so joyful about doing makeup. I know a lot of people who watch my YouTube videos will say I don't really wear makeup. But I like watching them because they're relaxing. I like to see the colour go on, the way you talk about it. So there's something just so, yeah, it's like painting, isn't it? They mm. love it. Yeah, it's incredible. And I think, I do think it's interesting as well in, in your field because actually maybe a little bit in mine too, but I think I know a lot of, um, you get a lot of career women where they've spent so long feeling like you did with the wall. And then actually the idea of, of having a baby is not something that they have necessarily put much um focus on because too busy with the career I've noticed mm. that quite a lot so yeah obviously sometimes through choice and sometimes just through circumstance mm. that's not been what's happened for them so I do think it's it's quite a special thing that you were able to actually just completely kind of step back and have this other whatever it was another five six years where it was that different landscape before mm. you started getting more into sort of, you know building it all up, back up again yeah I always think does that. is it that Orlando you know the Virginia Woolf book, and in that it's someone gets to be, a, you know, the character Orlando gets to live these different lives. And I feel like I've sort of done that. I've done this sort of really high fashion flying around, 
being a mum and a class rep and the face painter at all of summer fairs and, you know, taking the kids at all of that stuff, like I kind of really embraced that and then moving into that sort of slightly TV thing world and then back into fashion and, yeah, I can feel like um, sort of... I feel like you can you can do all of this. For me, I couldn't have done it all at the same time, but I've made, managed to sort of lay it out uh, and 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 go into different lanes, like driving on a motorway. I've been in that fast lane. I've been on the slow lane for a while. I'm back mm. in the middle. I've been, you know what I mean. I've kind of changed lanes quite a lot, um, and that's how I've you know kept the career going. That's all you're doing as well. I and the love of it, yeah, yeah the passion for important. it. Yeah, I think the. The changing up a lot is, works for, for me as well. Yeah. Had I just been still doing the fashion stuff and still flying around the world and still just going to the studio, I probably would have been bored of that by now. But the fact is I've done so many things within the world of fashion from oh, makeup, sorry, from creating makeup to doing the documentary, to do my own makeup, to working for big brands. So all of those are different elements of something that I really like. I guess mm. it's like for you, like yeah, song, songwriting, producing, performing, you know, or there's so many different elements. And if yeah. you try do a bit of all of them, it keeps it all so fresh and exciting and fun. Definitely. It's good for your brain, 100%. And I was thinking, so you're... Your boy's now 22. Yeah. So you're in different, that next chapter of things. Yeah, but you I've also have a stepson. Stepson, yeah, who's 26. Yes, he's 26. And yeah. how have you found that role? Because that's... I'm always quite interested. I have step parents. Well, I've got a stepmother and my stepdad I was very close to. And um, yeah, it's it's a different thing. It's like it's. I feel raised by four people, but it's a, it's a, it's definitely like a different thing than just you know. And you've got mum, dad, and then extra parents. Yeah, I think when we met, it was so nice because um, I think George must have been about six. Uh, they were about six and nine, I think. Yeah, six and nine. And that was just so natural. It felt wow. so that's great. It felt straight away. They weirdly sort of looked alike. Um, they've always got on really well. How nice. Um, so that was, it kind of worked really nicely, actually, from the beginning. Um, and I feel like they'll be, what's nice is I feel like they'll be brothers forever. You know, mm. they've kind of... I feel like once we're gone, they'll always have each other, which is so nice. Yeah. And how did you find this parent role something you had to think about much or is it quite an instinctive thing to step yeah, into Yeah, I think it's not instinctive. I think it's... I've just always been led by um, my husband, his dad, because he's, you know, I feel like it's not really my place to kind of start laying the law down and stuff like that. So he's been more... He's definitely been more the the... What, you know, the disciplinary or the whatever. The, yeah. the I've I've taken it more from him, my lead from him. Yeah, yeah. I think it is a sort of slightly different thing. You don't, if you're a step parent, you have to kind of, as you say, the dad can be doing that thing, but you yeah, want to be you able can't to... go in heavy. I remember going no. into a after we got married and we went into a Starbucks. I remember saying to my stepson, we were queuing up, and I said, "Well, I'm not really sure how to do this stepmom thing, but you know, hopefully I'll be all right. And you know, if you need to." You know, if you can help me, then great. I was like, <laughs> I was like, you know, I remember having that, and he was like, oh no, whatever, because um, I feel like it's you just turned up, so you don't want to go in like a bull in a china shop. Yeah, <laughs> but also at that age as well, he's old enough to understand if you're saying, you know, you can help me with this role. Yeah. I think that's nice. I think that's actually quite a modern way of parenting as well. I think we're better now at saying. This is something I haven't done before, so can you please help me with that? I do that with my kids, actually. I'll say I'm still 
still learning about yeah. all this, you know. I do yeah, no, exactly. I think that's really nice <laughs> to own up that I'm not really sure, like, what do you think I should do about that? Because, um, yeah, sometimes you're not really sure. Yeah. You, you can obviously go from the gut and that's the best way to parent if it feels right and it's you're feeling like it's intrinsically something that's that's good mm. um a combination of that and a bit of research then i think you most people can figure it out yes and how i haven't got any kids in the 20s bracket yet but what, how does it shift when you're parenting someone who's an adult proper adult um i think now it's great i mean my only scary moment i think was when george was it was the summer after the GCSEs. Well, you've been through this, actually. I don't know if you had a bad one. I did, because they all went out, and we just couldn't find them most of the time. They were in parks. <laughs> they weren't... And I got George, maybe he was 16. I put him on my Uber account, and I've only just recouped my rating. So it's taken <laughs> me five years to go from, I think it was like 1.7. I couldn't get an oh, Uber. Wow. Yeah, because they used to... Because I thought, well, if he's on my Uber account, I can see whose house they're at. Yeah. Because they're at friends' houses. And I was always doing detective work to see where they there, had they gone to so-and-so's house, were mm. they still there, or had they gone out, and were they walking around a park? You know, yeah. was there any drink involved? What was going on? You know, I yeah. was... you're unaccounted for for these hours. Yeah, so <laughs> I thought the Uber account was good. But, um, yeah, in fact... It, a lot of his friends came around the other night and I was we were joking about that and they were laughing so much. I was like, guys, I've only just got my Uber rating <laughs> back over four. It's taken me all these years. You I must can, have had to be so nice I've to had to be so up. nice. I've had to tip, 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 tip. Yeah. Be so super nice. If you liked me, would you please give me five stars? <laughs> um, actually, I did have one thing I wanted to ask you because I think it's really significant that you grew up in New Zealand and then moved when you were six. How do you think it... What does it give you when you've had that really big shift as a child to go from one place to somewhere completely new? Yeah, I mean, it's a massive upheaval. Mm. Um, plus, like, my parents split up in New Zealand, so my mum brought me to England. So that obviously is something that, you know, is, is such a big thing. Um, and we spent a lot of time coming back. We came back on a slow boat from New Zealand oh, to wow. England. So How long did that take? months and months and months I went to school on the boat it was long a long journey wow yeah. you went on a boat for months coming back from New Zealand that's incredible yeah. went to a lot of places um, you know and then landed in New Zealand uh, sorry in Liverpool which is very different to New Zealand I lived in um, Beach Road in outside Auckland so you can imagine what it was like um, but luckily um, I always credit my granny with this that she, we lived with my granny and she was amazing she was an amazing musician she played piano, she was very creative, um, she was, I guess, just, you know, just a great person to be around. Yeah. And I think that a lot of my creativity was encouraged by her and recognised by her and she used to write me funny little poems in the morning and I think that that was, you know, but it was, yeah, it was a big, big change. Yeah, no, that's huge. a strange um, thing that... I guess it makes you very resilient and it made me very um, someone that can always fend for myself. You know, I rocked up in London without any money at quite a young age and decided I was going to be a makeup artist. So how were you then? Like, um, when did you leave home? Yeah, I was like 19, 20. Mm. But to just suddenly turn up, actually not far from here, I was living, just rocked up in a friend's flat, you know, living in a spare room while I kind of, figured out I was going to be a makeup artist. So mm. I think 
there is a certain resilience there that probably came from quite a strange childhood or that that part anyway yeah but your, your granny sounds amazing yeah that no, sounds she really, was she was amazing it allowed you as well to get lost in a kind of you can be feel safe about having all this creative play because actually where you found yourself also made you feel safe so you can kind yeah. of really lose yourself in in you know exploring makeup and other worlds and where that takes you um i think that's amazing well before i i let you go i do want to hear a little bit about your cat because we were talking a little bit about animals before and you were telling me about your cat who's a fashion stylist. Mm-hmm. Um, so what accessories did Ted, your cat, choose for you today? Um, he chose for me a um, <laughs> a scrunchie, which was um, black with sort of gold flecks in it. And does it he have a, a tendency to go for sparkly things? Yeah, he does actually, and had a bow. <laughs> and he chose a 1990s, a vintage um, Jessica Ogden belt, very nicely sort of handmade, I did actually even put it around my waist because I thought once he'd given it to me, should I wear it today? But then I didn't think it went with this, but obviously Ted would, would so beg to differ. So he puts things down and then has a little chat about what he's yeah, put down. Yeah, no, he goes into the wardrobe. <laughs> um, well, there's sort of, you know, the area where like all the shoes are laid out and because he likes accessories. That's his main thing. So he goes in there and he's just <laughs> so funny, his process. Actually, my... Um, assistant was at the house this morning she's never seen because she's quite new she's seen a talk she's had a talk but she's never seen the process and we were actually in that area today and I could tell by the look in his eye he was working because he walked in and he was like checking it all out he walked around three times he was looking at some coats that were hanging up so I thought oh god you know he's not going to try and grab a coat is he checked out shoes jumped up onto the accessories table and then he just is looking for ages. I mean, it's quite a slow thing. Sometimes he talks a little bit to himself while he's looking. So it can be a bit of a... <laughs> and then the next thing, you just hear this great big thud. So if you're downstairs, you know he's done a talk because you hear him jump down from the cupboard. And then this talk starts. And it's like, when we have strangers, we don't know very well at the house, they're like, is there a baby crying upstairs? I'm like, no, it's just my cat. He's about to show up with a piece of fashion. <laughs> And everyone's like, yeah, okay, crazy lady. And then Ted comes down the stairs, still talking. <laughs> drops the, the fashion item at the bottom of the stairs and then just does this crazy talk. I don't know what he's saying. I think he's saying, this is a fantastic piece of 90s vintage. It is showing how handcrafted it. He had this talk. Then he waits for you. You go up, you pick up the item he looks so proud, I can't even tell you. The ears go back. He's beaming with pride. And you say, thank you so much. It's really good. Like, if it's a hat, I'd put it on. Yeah. Um, and it just started during the lockdown. And I, if I say it to people, they don't believe me. So I show them a video and then they go, okay, this is insane. That is insane. And I completely love it. I think also a key point of this as well is that he's obviously got access to amazing accessories. Because if my cat did this, he'd be like... This is something you bought a new look on tour. It was reduced from four pounds to two. It's fraying at the edges. I got paid in really good clothes for a lot of fashion shows over the years. I mean, back then, you used to get paid in clothes. So, yeah, I got some really nice pieces from from way back when. Um, There might be a lot of fashion stylist cats out there if they just had access to the right accessories. I know, but I think he's bored with my accessories now because sometimes he doesn't do a talk for like a week. And I I almost feel (laughs) under pressure to like, get some good accessories because I feel like I'm starving him of, you know, of his outlet. Mm. Um, but I have even said to like fashion 
editors at magazines, if you want to bring like the new season of accessories round, he will choose all the key pieces and then you'll know what to what to shoot because I uh, would do that. Chosen <laughs> star by Ted. Chosen by Ted. I think I think you're onto something with that. Oh no, everyone keeps saying to me, start an Instagram account. I'm like, honestly, I've got enough to do. I can't be doing that. Oh, come on, people love cats on Instagram. I know. But... And they love fashion. So True. you know. Set up a camera, just have him choosing pieces all day long. Oh, God. (laughs) I would definitely be a follower. I'm there. (laughs) And, yeah, I'll like the face and things. Um, And finally, I hope you're... Are you going to... Did you say going to a gig tonight that your son's doing? No, he's doing a gig. Yes, he's doing a gig tonight. I'm not going because I feel like it's uncool. So have you been to many of his gigs? Yeah, I have, actually. I've been to... Not many. I've been to a couple. Yeah. Um, they did a couple at Soho House. I went to them and it was sort of okay for... I've been to two. Um, but yeah, the one tonight, uh, yeah, I'm not really sure, not if, sure. I can, if I can turn Just send Ted. And, and my son's <laughs> so lovely with me. Oh, his husband. He's like just so warm and, and he's so laid back and so sweet and, and nice with me and he owes his husband. And sometimes I'll say, oh, you know, can I... Um, like I, I wrote when they first got their account, I wrote on the account, he said, do you mind deleting that, mum? It just looks a bit uncool to have, like, you commenting on there. And I was like, oh, God, sorry, you know, I'll delete it now. And he's like, yeah, if you don't mind. He went, it's really nice of you to do it. You know, I'm really, it's great and everything, but uh, do you mind just not um, having it on there? So I was like, okay. <laughs> That's how the wheel turns, I'm afraid. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Next, you'll set up Ted's Instagram account. He'll be like, do you mind not commenting on something like this? <laughs> I'm just trying to I don't know, you know. T- think Ted should style them. Come on. Yeah, there you go. That's perfect. Yeah, I just I just want Ted to talk to my cat so that my cat's a bit more exciting. That's what I want to happen. <laughs> Next time um, you go on tour, we'll get Ted round. Yes, he please. can do a whole look for you. I'd love that. Head to toe. It'll be quite eclectic. I'm bring it on, love, Ted. Yeah, because he loves he doesn't mind a bit of sparkle and he likes a bit of Diamante and yeah. he does like a bit of leopard print. And he will mix that with something quite random. But if you're into it, I can bring forth all these things. And I also think Ted would be partial to some mouse eyebrows if I had them. <laughs> I'd probably be wearing them every day, Ted, on his way. Thanks so much, Lisa. Oh, thanks so, so nice much. to talk to you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so as that finishes, I'm sat here on my mouse eyebrows. Raising them up and down a lot. Wiggle, wiggle, mouse eyebrows. (laughs) Trying to entice my cat, Titus. I mean, Titus, my cat, not a stylist, not a fashion advisor by any stretch. He's just a cat, but he would definitely pick out my mouse eyebrows for me anyway. So, you know, there's that. And how lovely was Lisa? I mean... Her voice is just so calming. As I said before, I feel like I need a bit of that at the moment. I feel like I'm going between being pretty chill and then very tense. I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because I was away a bit last week. So when I got back, it kind of, there's always like little family tensions that come either side of me being away. I don't know if that's normal, just our house. But yeah, I'm going to put on some mouse eyebrows and style it out. And I'm around all week this week, so that's nice. And I'm actually recording so many podcasts because while I was in the studio last week, I went absolutely bonkers emailing loads of people, asking them to do the podcast. So I've now got lots and lots of lovely, amazing guests um, to add into the pile of already 
amazing guest I had already. So all good, good, good. I'm excited about it all. And that's lovely. But as ever, thank you this week to Lisa for being lovely. Thank you to Claire Jones, my lovely producer and friend who came around and recorded us and made us sound good and did her beautiful notes. Honestly, you should see Claire's notes when we do the podcast. They are a work of art. And thank you to Richard for editing this. Thank you to Ella May for the gorgeous artwork. Thank you to my kids for leaving me alone while I do this. They're all in other rooms. I've got one who's editing a video. I've got a couple in the garden and I've got one in his bedroom. And uh, I think that's all of them, yeah. And I even managed to clean up the hamster cage today. So, you know, today's a good day. Oh, yeah, because remember last time I was telling you about the hamster. So, yeah, we've got a hamster. Deku, his name is. He's very sweet. He's part of the family now. And so far, the main person who holds him is me which actually is a bit of a confidence trick because I sort of forgot it's quite unnerving to hold a very small rodent. But he's sweet and I'm doing a big thing of just going, this is great, let's hold Deku so that Ray does too. And it's starting to rub off, I think. Um, yeah, so have a good week, you. I'll see you at the same time, same place. And thank you very much for lending me your ears as ever. I hope the sun shines on you wherever you are all week long because spring is here. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.